What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Wellness Wednesday, where we're trying to make wellness go viral worldwide. So <laughs> I know that today is Thursday, but I had a crazy busy day yesterday. So I wanted to make it up to everybody today. So I was thinking that we would today discuss dopamine and how to leverage dopamine to actually accomplish your goals. So I think what's happening is that most people think of dopamine as the molecule of pleasure and rewards. And while it does play a part in rewards and pleasure, it's actually the molecule of motivation and drive more than anything else. So um, I kind of wanted to clarify some things first and foremost about what dopamine is and is not. Uh, and then after that, I've been thinking when I was reviewing my notes on dopamine and reviewing the past podcast that we did, I kind of had this thought and this idea and this framework that you can actually create this way of thinking about dopamine that isn't a, I guess, villainized thing. Right now, I feel like in Web3 and social media and everywhere else, they're talking about how you need to go in dopamine fast, you can't have dopamine, uh, dopamine will ruin your life, which uh, some cases a dopamine fast is extremely, extremely, extremely helpful, especially if you've found yourself in the throes of addiction to whatever it may be, alcohol, video games, nicotine, you name it, all of these things, social media, that's a big one. All of these things do release dopamine in your system. But dopamine is also a necessary part of life. In fact, without dopamine, you actually couldn't even move in the first place. There's this pathway called the nigrostriatal pathway, which is 100% necessary for even movement itself. So dopamine is highly, highly tied to that. And they've done these in uh, mouse models where they've knocked out those areas of dopamine and the nigrostriatal pathway and people literally can't move. Um, sometimes they've seen this in the clinical setting in, in people where you knock out dopamine and they get this thing that's called locked in syndrome, where you are completely alert of everything going on, but you physically can't move. So it's a really, really scary situation. But dopamine, I just wanted to drive home that point that dopamine is necessary for many of the things that we enjoy in our day-to-day -day lives. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk about dopamine, what it is, kind of give the TLDR once again, and then talk about this framework about how to actually leverage dopamine in order to achieve your goals. So we'll get started shortly, but first I have to do this, the disclaimer because this is uh, probably more of the technical discussion and technical space than the previous spaces that we've had to date. So I am a resident physician at Massachusetts General Hospital, which is associated with Harvard Medical School. However, everything I say on this space and or other podcasts is completely separate from my roles at MGH and Harvard Medical School and is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. You should seek the advice of your healthcare professional for any assistance and professional diagnoses, opinions, or treatments. All right. Thanks so much. Sorry, now that that's out of the way. All right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to leverage dopamine to actually achieve your goals. Uh, so, you know, I was just talking about how there's this huge demonization going on right now about dopamine, how terrible it is for you. And everyone should stop doing social media, should stop eating food, should stop doing things that they like and even exercise because all of these things stimulate dopamine, you know, even uh, things that we consider healthy for you, healthy actions such as exercise. And I think it maybe it's gone a little bit too far. And while truthfully, dopamine 
like most other things in your body, uh, they, they have their utility and their time and place. Without dopamine, I was just talking about it, uh, you wouldn't even be able to move. We were talking about those patients that get locked in syndrome because of the loss of dopamine, the nigra striatal pathway. So uh, dopamine is responsible mostly for drive and motivation, but lately people have been associating it more with a pleasure molecule. They say, you know, when you uh, when you get high or when you do these other things, you stimulate dopamine, and that's certainly true. But it's actually more the molecule of drive and motivation and actually goal achievement. It's a necessary component of goal achievement. So I just wanted to tell you guys about the history behind this. And I was looking to it and I thought it was fascinating. So the entire saga of the dopamine being the pleasure neurotransmitter actually stemmed from a very, very early study that uh, incorrectly assumed that because dopamine was super high after cocaine administration, um, that dopamine was responsible for pleasure in general. And however, it turns out that cocaine is one of these stimulants that can actually cause a huge release of dopamine in your body and in your system and causing what they call is this phasic release, which is a huge spike in dopamine, but in and of itself wasn't what was causing pleasure in the first place. So there was another test that was done, and this one was published in the Journal of Neuroscience, so a very excellent journal, in 2003. And what they actually did is they took rats, and they knocked out dopamine in their rewards pathways. And they uh, did imaging studies to see whether these um, pathways, these rewards pathways, would still light up if they were to give them something like sucrose or sugar water. So they did give them sugar water. And what they found is the same pleasure pathways still light up when you ingest uh, sucrose or sugar water. Now, what's interesting that the other thing that they noticed is that because they knocked out dopamine, the amount of times that a rat would lick the spout to get sugar water was uh, drastically decreased. And if they moved the sugar water container just a little bit away, that the rat wouldn't even get up and move closer to get that pleasure sensation. Now, you might think that that's extremely weird, right? Because if it is truly stimulating our pleasure pathways, and we, you know, I've said this a bunch of times that human uh, actions are... Uh, oftentimes driven by these two things of moving away from pain and towards pleasure. And so if those uh, pathways are still being stimulated, why wouldn't these rats move just a little bit closer, like six inches or uh, a foot closer to drink the sucrose to stimulate those pleasure pathways? And it's because dopamine, like I was saying, is the molecule of drive and motivation. So this is really the seminal paper, the Journal of Neuroscience in 2003 that showed, okay, maybe that uh, this wasn't just associated with pleasure. It is mostly more for drive and motivation. And many subsequent papers since then have... Um, I've shown that. So uh, it was reproducible, as they say, in, in the science spaces. So um, now that that's cleared up, so we know that now we know that dopamine is responsible for driving motivation. And now you can also see why dopamine, when you spike it too much or it goes too high, and then you have a compensatory drop in dopamine, that why you might feel down or a lack of energy or you want to do all of these things, but you just, you can't get up to go and do it. And much of that is because of this dopamine system. And so we're going to discuss next on how dopamine actually functions in our system, in our body, and what is the pattern of dopamine within our body. So um, I think the, I could stop there, but um, 
Let me just keep on going really fast. I think there's only a few more points I want to make, but just to get everybody caught up on this in case you weren't on the previous uh, podcast or space on dopamine. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. Um, and what that is, is uh, what happens is your brain actually is full of these things called neurons. You guys all know what neurons are. And uh, how they communicate with each other, they don't actually directly communicate with each other. There's actually a gap in between. If you imagine a g- great big giant wire, and in that wire, there are certain cuts and gaps in between these wires. And so how dopamine actually acts is they call it a presynaptic and a postsynaptic cleft. And the presynaptic, you can imagine, is on one side of the wire. So the current is going through the wire and then it stops because there's a gap there. And in order to get to the other side to continue that electrical current, dopamine would have to carry that. If you imagine an American football uh, where you have a quarterback and they would throw the football to the wide receiver, uh, it's very similar to that. So dopamine would be the football. The quarterback would be at the presynaptic cleft. And then at the postsynaptic cleft, it'd be the wide receiver trying to get that touchdown. Um, and so when you throw the dopamine, it actually has to float out of the presynaptic cleft into this random space and get attached to dopamine receptors, which would be the receiver on the postsynaptic cleft. Um, and all of that needs to happen before you have these dopaminergic effects. So uh, what happens when you stimulate dopamine? So, uh, you know, lots of things stimulate dopamine. We're just talking about eating chocolate, exercise stimulates dopamine. Um, You know, obviously sex, intercourse, uh, drugs, cocaine, nicotine, alcohol, uh, social media, almost anything that you do can stimulate dopamine in your body, but to various degrees. So, for example, I think chocolate, for some reason, causes a dopamine spike of 200%, so two times your level of baseline. Um, And I think cocaine, for example, is like 2.5%, and methamphetamine is about 10, uh, uh, 10 times your baseline. So this is important to know because your body always releases some level of dopamine into your system. So they call this your basal rate of dopamine. Uh, It helps you do things like get up and go and uh, do something because you're motivated to get to the bathroom or you're motivated because you're thirsty or, um, you know, to even move in the first place through the nigrostriatal pathway. Now, what happens is when you spike your dopamine too high, let's say uh, you took illicit drugs or whatever it may be and you do this too often, your dopamine levels actually go super, super high. And the higher your dopamine level goes, the further you drop below your baseline. And what we experience as pleasure does correlate with that spike, how big that spike is of dopamine. But what we associate with pain is how far it crashes below baseline. So this is sort of the neurobiological uh, idea about when I say human behavior is primarily governed by these two actions of the uh, avoiding pain and moving towards pleasure. So this is how you experience it. The low levels of dopamine you experience as pain, meaning you lack energy and drive. And lacking energy and drive is sort of one of the criteria of major depressive disorder, first and foremost. But if you lack energy and drive to even motivation to go and do things, then all of a sudden you're not doing the things that you found uh, pleasurable, that you enjoy to do. Uh, Maybe you find yourself that uh, you have a lack of appetite. You're not eating the things that you previously liked to eat. You're not socializing like you previously were. All of these things are components of major depressive disorder. And so you can see that low dopamine levels can very quickly lead to things like burnout and uh, even major depressive disorder, MDD. So it's very important then to establish, well, how do we then utilize our dopamine system to, uh, to a more healthy degree? 
uh, how can we do that? So uh, to set up the framework for this, I wanted to talk about uh, this thing that they call is a uh, reward prediction error. So reward prediction error, if you think, if you imagine the casino, the casinos do this really, really well, actually. So did you guys know 80% of a casino is dedicated to the slot machine? And this is completely on purpose. And the reason why they dedicate 80% of it to the slot machine is because it's sort of mastered this dopamine system. So uh, when I said that it's the molecule of motivation and drive, it's also the molecule of anticipation of a reward. So it's not quite actually getting the reward, it's the anticipation of it. And you imagine a slot machine and you pull that and then you have all these lights and sounds that sound super cool and it's like getting all of your attention and uh, you're loving it. And then you win, and then you're rewarded for that. But then they put you on a somewhat somewhat fixed schedule of winning and losing, but overall, you know that the house is going to win uh, on the long term. And this is what happens. You maybe win in the beginning, but then you start to lose, and then you were rewarded for sort of hitting those wins, and then you want more, and you want more, and you want more. Uh, what they found from research is that If you want to actually leverage your dopamine to a healthy degree, you want to spike your dopamine levels at random times such that you don't Uh, you're not aware of when you're going to get a reward. Uh, It it literally is completely random. And I think that this is really fascinating. The reason why I wanted to tie this uh, or talk about this is because I wanted to tie it to a separate discussion about dopamine and the subjectivity of dopamine. Now, you might be wondering, like, what does that mean? What does subjectivity of dopamine mean? And this, this is probably the most important part of this space, by the way, guys, is to talk about the subjectivity of dopamine. So there was a study done in the uh, in JAMA Psychiatry, so the Journal of American Medical Association Psychiatry, excellent, excellent journal. And what they did, it was actually really interesting. They took Parkin, uh, patients with Parkinson's disease. So if you don't know, Parkinson's disease is where you have a lack of dopamine in certain parts of your brain. And because of that, you tend to have slow movements, shuffling gates, these types of things. Um, and the, oftentimes the treatment for this, as you can imagine, because you have lack of dopamine in some parts of your brain, is to give dopamine. And what they did is they took patients who had Parkinson's disease, and uh, they were already taking some sort of a dopaminergic agent to treat it. But in this, uh, in this study, what they did was everybody was going to get a placebo, but they didn't tell them that. So what they actually did was they told them the likelihood that they were actually getting uh, dopamine in a pill, essentially. So uh, what they did is, you know, some of the patients, they told them there's a 25% chance that you're actually going to get a dopamine pill. And then they told another subset of patients, there's a 50% chance that you're going to actually get an actual dopamine pill. And another subset of patients, 75% chance that you're actually going to get dopamine in your pill and not placebo. And then the other uh, subject, they told them 100% chance you're going to get dopamine. Well, what's super interesting is of the subjects that they studied, the ones that they told were 75% and above that they were going to get dopamine had a dopaminergic response such that their brain actually produced dopamine without uh, having received exogenous dopamine. So their pill didn't actually have dopamine in it. But if they told them, so they expected to get dopamine, that they got the dopamine release. So this is really, really interesting and really important to realize is that there is subjectivity to the amount of dopamine that you get from any given scenario. And this is important, and, and I'll discuss why in a second. 
But this is extremely, extremely important because this is the part that we can actually leverage to, to leverage dopamine in our favor to actually accomplish our goals. So um, to take this out of like all of these randomized control trials and all these things, I'm just going to give you guys a real world example. Many of us are in Web3. And let's just say that it's your birthday, it's coming up, and uh, somebody that you care about actually gave you this cool NFT because you're really into NFTs. Now, this NFT had zero monetary value. I have to like say that because money is money for many people, but this one had zero monetary value, but you appreciate NFTs for just being an NFT. It looked really cool. It really spoke, the art really spoke to you and it showed that they really cared and were thoughtful about who you were as a person. Well, are you going to get a dopamine spike from this? I mean, almost certainly you're going to get a dopamine spike from this because you thought that it was a really, really cool gift. Now, imagine, you know, your great aunt or your grandma or whatever, somebody that could care less about JPEGs and NFTs. And you're like, hey, look, I gave you this for your for your birthday. Do you think that they're going to get a dopamine spike from this? Almost certainly not. Like not as much as you. Maybe they get a little bit just because they got a gift, but not as much as you. Uh, in the same sense, Let's say there was a rock collector. You're not a rock collector and somebody gave you this rock. <laughs> You're just like, what is this? Are you going to get a dopamine spike from that? Probably not. But if you gave this to this avid rock collector, almost certainly they're going to get a huge dopamine spike. And they're going to be like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Astonishing gift. Great gift. And they're going to get a dopamine spike. So this is really important. We're going to merge these two ideas of how do you create a random dopamine schedule such that you get a spike at a random time, but then have this subjectivity of dopamine in order to spike our dopamine at random times. So this is where it gets into much of what we discussed previously about goal setting and our goal setting workshops that we've talk, talked about previously on, on our Discord or on Spaces. Because how it works is just like you can change your values and beliefs, things that you care about by creating identity statements, writing about it, uh, doing the actions that are necessary to put into place in order for you to actually uh, care about it. You can do the same thing, but by changing your identity, you can place a certain level of weight upon how much you care about something. So to take it out of the esoteric, let's take an example out of this, right? So for many people, you know, I, I work with, um, I'm a certified personal trainer as well as a as a resident physician. And so I, I work with my clients. And when I'm working with my clients, it's absolutely, absolutely important for me to get them to buy into this idea that uh, even though you're going to be going through a certain level of pain and difficulty of, you know, having to exercise, having to restrict your diet to a certain degree, um, you need to get them to fall in love with the process and the actions of doing those things rather than falling in love with the end result. Just saying, hey, I'm doing this so that I can lose 50 pounds in the future. You want them to get the dopamine spikes randomly of, hey, when I am, uh, I am going to praise myself for the effort that I put in today, right? It goes back to these discussions about mindset. How do you create a strong mindset? It's, uh, how do I create this pattern in which I will get a dopamine spike, but for rewarding myself um, for doing the actions that are necessary to actually get me to my goal? Because the reason why this is going to work, guys, is because it mixes in those two strategies of reward prediction error of this random time that you're going to get dopamine, which is when you actually step on the scale, but you're not worried about the scale. 
you're mostly worried about the actions that get you to actually lose that weight to actually get you to accomplish your goal. So for example, this is an example that I use a lot. Let's just say you've never exercised or you haven't exercised in two years or three years and you've gained 60, 70, 80 pounds in the last year or last three years and you want to lose it all. Um, what you want to do instead of waiting and uh, you know, getting mad at yourself here and there and telling yourself you have to lose the weight and making it extremely painful of a process, what you want to do is you want to break this goal down into very, very small goals and actionable goals that you can do. So if you haven't even, you know, been to the gym or exercise in three years, what your micro goal should really be is, hey, I just want to put on my running shoes and step outside the door. By creating your goals such that you're, you know, putting on your running shoes and stepping outside the door, you've already created a way in which you've gained momentum and moved in a positive direction. Even though you know that your goal is to lose 80 pounds, what is the likelihood if you woke up at 7 a.m., you put on your running shoes and you already stepped out the door, that you're not actually going to go for at least a mile jog or a mile walk? Practically nothing, but your barrier to entry to getting there has been decreased. So James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he calls this decreasing the friction uh, in which you want to create the habits towards, right? And so by doing things like this, you, instead of being hyper-focused on the result causing the dopamine spike, you're now causing the dopamine spike towards things that uh, are, are within your locus of control. But the dopamine spike, the big dopamine spike that you're going to get is really the one at the end after, you know, a whole year of putting in the hard work and then you step on that scale and then you're like, holy crap, I lost 110 pounds, but I wasn't hyper-focused on losing the 110 pounds. It was the subjectivity that you placed on your actions about how much you cared about doing the hard things that was causing these random dopamine spikes that you can't really time. Because if you think about it, you don't have the choice of when dopamine is really released in your body. Like it's one of those things, there's this free will discussion. I see Charlie in here and we talk about free will a lot in our discord and whether you have it or not. And uh, dopamine and neurochemicals and neurotransmitters and emotions and all these things, they're highly intertwined. And it's one of those things that you can't truly decide when dopamine is going to spike in your body. It's just something that automatic that happens. Like I can't uh, think about dopamine and just like a muscle flex it and have dopamine then increase. But what I'm saying is by creating a positive framework uh, around the habits and the actions that are necessary to help you achieve your goals, you're actually leveraging dopamine in a much more healthy way because you've built in this randomization aspect that we talk about in regards to leveraging dopamine in a healthy way. And you're using this idea and leveraging this idea of the subjective nature of how much you care about a subject to uh, spike your dopamine. So if, for example, in that same scenario, you put way too much stock in, uh, my goal is all that matters. I have to lose 80 pounds and that's all that matters. Then the entire process in which you're losing the 80 pounds it's not going to be a pleasurable uh, experience, first of all, because you're feeling like this is terrible. I'm like, uh, I can't eat the foods that I want to eat. Uh, I have to go and you know exercise for three hours or two hours. You don't, def you definitely don't need to exercise for three hours to lose that weight, by the way. But like, I need to go out and I need to create time in my day. I need to create like all these plans and all these need tos. Um, but you never took the time to put the weight and the positive experiences on the actions that you want to take. 
Instead, you were only putting all of your weight and all of your focus and all of your concentration on the end result. And so even if you got there and you had that giant dopamine spike at the end, that's exactly what you're trying to sort of avoid. Uh, you're trying to avoid the, hey, I put myself through hell to get here. And so now I get to have this giant dopamine spike at the end. But then what happens? You have the giant compensatory crash. And you can imagine if you have no drive and motivation that you run through the cycle again. And you're going to have to do the cycle again because you, you, know, you went on a crash diet or a crash workout. And then all of a sudden, you put all of your dopamine, all of the rewards at the very, very end. Instead, you're spacing these out randomly throughout by deciding to put subjectivity to the amount that you care about a certain part of your life. So that's sort of the TLDR of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I hadn't fully prepared this uh, entire thing. And thank you guys so much for listening to <laughs> my, my rant on that. I'll start inviting people up now to speak. So if you want to speak or add anything to that, please feel free. Um, I do want to say I'm super grateful for each and every one of you guys for showing up. Uh, Charlie, Sel, Suika, Sophie, Lynn, Stickman, Nino, Jade, Creepy, Jeannie, Maddie, uh, and CTX down there. Really, really appreciate it. And um, also appreciate you guys just letting me uh, explain this framework for the first time ever out loud. Uh, this is sort of practice for me. Every time I step on spaces and I try to explain something uh, from the top of my head, uh, one, I understand it better, but two, uh, it gives me practice repetitions because this is the craft that I'm trying to hone is be able to explain uh, what I mean in a uh, more succinct manner in a way that people actually want to listen to and comprehend. Uh, so that's very important to me. So yeah, really, uh, once again, appreciate you guys. There, you know, there was this other thing that I wanted to post up here. Let me post it up now. So in our Omni Discord, we voted on a charity of our choice. And we voted for the Against Malaria Foundation. And something that I really wanted to do was every year we want to pick a charity to donate to. And I do a lot of free things in general, you know, spaces, things like that. And if you guys feel like you got value from the space or uh, you just feel like you inside of you want to do something good today for somebody, some other human being, uh, please think about donating to the Against Malaria Foundation. This is the charity that we voted on. 100% of their funds goes to uh, buying nets to prevent malaria. And so that, uh, that is a, a really big deal because $2 can buy a net and a net can protect two people. And so $2 can literally save two lives by preventing malaria and the transition of malaria in endemic countries. So I posted that and there's a link in there uh, with our own personal link. We're not connected with Against Malaria Foundation in any way. They're not supporting us in any way, but we think that they're a pretty, pretty cool and rad charity if you guys are interested in that. So 